we'd like to remind you that if you are experiencing symptoms of a heart attack, stroke, or any life-threatening medical emergency, please call 911. Please do not delay seeking treatment during the COVID-19 epidemic. Most Providence emergency rooms are open, and CDC-required safety measures are being taken to protect patients and hospital staff. If you are unsure of your symptoms, please use our telehealth services and speak with a healthcare professional that can better assess your symptoms and provide direction on the best course of action. Please do not let the worry of COVID-19 cause delay in seeking out treatment if you are experiencing a heart attack or stroke. Every minute treatment is delayed can be fatal. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the future of health on Dash Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID-19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information. Hello, and welcome to our live broadcast, where we'll be discussing a very important topic today, our 2020 census. I'm Dora Barilla, and I'm the group vice president for Community Health Investment. Just a reminder today that um, the information that will be provided during our event is for informational purposes only. If you have any medical questions, please reach out to your primary care or healthcare professional. So without further ado, let's begin. We're very fortunate to be joined today in our live event with Jordan Abushawish, our State Director for Public Affairs, and Jennifer Lee, our Partnership Specialist with the United States Census Bureau. Welcome, Jordan and Jennifer. Thank Thank you, Dora. So let's begin. I would love to hear a little bit about you. So tell us a little bit about your role, um, Jordan, within Providence. Sure. Um, Thank you, Dora. It's a pleasure to be here on this very important subject. Um, So Jordan Abushawish, I'm the Director of Public Affairs for the actually the state of California. Um, But I am working uh, across the regions, across the system to help coordinate um, Providence's uh, caregiver engagement in relation to census. So that's that's who I am and why I'm here. Wonderful. Well, thank you for joining us today, Jordan. We really appreciate it. And then we have a special guest today. So Jennifer, tell a little bit about um, what you do with the Census Bureau. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, Dora, Jordan, and everyone who is streaming live, thank you for joining us. My name is Jennifer Lee from the United States Census Bureau. I'm a partnership specialist working in Orange County. And we have a once every 10 year census going on right now. And my job is to create quality partnerships like Providence and all the community members, local government, faith-based organization, every influencer activist to get involved and be counted in Census 2020. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Jennifer. We're just so thrilled that you'd be with our special guest today to talk about this topic. So let's start. You know, why is the census count important? Census is important in so many different ways. I'll break it down to three. First is representation. It's to represent ourselves that we are here and that we are living here in our counties and our states and our cities to stand up and collectively have that voice as residents in the United States. Second part is funding. We have critical funding that we will go into more later, but we have just for example, 2016, based on George Washington University's, a conservative number to quote is $116 billion just in 2016. That California was funded federally for different vital programs. Now, again, that's a conservative number. You might hear out there a number that is greater, 
about $116 billion just for the state of California to serve everyone that's living in California. The third part is representation in the House of Representatives. We have 435 seats in the House of Rep. And just for the state of California, we have 53. These are important voices that speak for their congressional district, speaking up in Washington for the needs of California and their respective districts. So for these three reasons, it's very important that we are counted. And remember, we only have one chance every 10 years and it's happening right now. Those are the reasons why the census is important. And I'm so glad everyone is joining in to hear this important message. Well, thank you for sharing that level of importance. And with that, who needs to respond to the census, Jennifer? That's a great question because there are uh, many uh, confusions out there, maybe uh, misinformation out there. And I want you to hear firsthand that everyone is counted. Everyone means everyone. It means children. It means babies that are just born in 2020. That means uh, senior citizens, those experiencing homelessness, um, even renters, documented, undocumented citizens of the United States or not. Everyone living here counts. Wow. So with that information, is are all the answers kept private and is are people's information kept confidential? Absolutely. I'm so glad you mentioned this because there are many people who are fearful that their information is shared. But I want to make sure and assure everyone that we have seven to nine questions on that questionnaire. And I say seven to nine because it's nine for the household, uh, the head of the household. So the main person who is filling out that census has nine questions and everyone else living in that home, including maybe renters that are borrowing uh, the garage space or another room in the house, or maybe it's an extended family member. Uh, maybe it's a roommate that's uh, temporarily living there, permanently temporarily living there. Um, everyone is counted. So it's seven questions for everyone else. And it's very short. It's easy. I also want to assure that no question is asked about citizenship. It will never be asked on the questionnaire as you go online or phone or in that paper questionnaire. There's seven to nine basic questions. In terms of security, ever since 1954, when Title 13 was codified into our law, there has not been one violation, not even a single violation of that confidentiality that was violated. So every census taker, every census representative, including myself, swears under a lifetime oath, whether or not we stay with the Bureau or move on to a different position, we are under a lifetime oath to protect personal information. No part of the census questionnaire is shared with anyone, not with ICE, not with uh, law enforcement, not even with the President of the United States. All information is gathered and shared in statistical format only. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's really, uh, really comforting to hear um, such level security levels are taken. So Jordan, I want to turn a little bit to, um, you know, how, how then with this foundational information and the survey, how does Providence use the census data to serve our communities? Yeah, thank you, Dora. Um, so I think first and foremost, um, the census data helps inform a lot of the work that we do. 
I would say with our community benefits um, and our community health investment teams. And so, as you all know, across the regions, we have uh, uh, these leaders who have co developed community partnerships to do very important work with uh, our vulnerable populations, um, including uh, what, we, what we've uh, initiated uh, early last year, with our housing for health care uh, initiative. And so, um, and, and actually in, in more recently, I'd like to touch on this, a lot of the advocacy that we're doing in relation to uh, rental assistance um, due to individuals who have either lost income or uh, are unable to work to care for their uh, children or, or care for uh, their family members who got you know, affected by COVID, um, folks who, who are no longer generating income um, and need that uh, assistance of, uh, to, to maintain their, their shelter. And so um, part of uh, the advocacy that we've been doing uh, across the region is uh, encouraging cities and counties to utilize the emergency assistance that the federal government provided through the CARES Act, um, uh, which essentially allocated billions of dollars across the country into what is known as community development um, block grants. So that, that program is actually uh, that the formula uh, to uh, determine who and who gets what and how much is derived directly from the census. And so uh, Congress, what they did this year uh, in, in relation to COVID was um, offer HUD some flexibility in how the grant program operates, um, thereby extending um, the support to the community for those who have lost their jobs and been inflicted by, by COVID. So if you take um, the fact that you know we have this this uh, housing uh, program that supports millions of individuals across the country, uh, which is based on census data, and folks are uh, losing their incomes and not able to, to pay rent, uh, those individuals are now qualified to apply for this additional emergency funding so they can stay in their homes. How does that translate to Providence's work? Well, we do a lot of work in the community to ensure that uh, we prevent people from becoming homeless for a number of reasons. Um, and so that translates into people staying in shelter during this pandemic because of the extra federal support that they're receiving through the community development block grants as a result of the, uh, as a result of the formula that is calculated based on census data. So that's just, that's just one example. <laughs> we can get we can get into more. There's a lot of examples. There's supplemental uh, nutrition assistance. So, uh, Cal, in California, it's called CalWORKS, which is essentially the the, the funding that's available for folks who um, are not able to you know that that qualify for additional support for, for food. Um, there's uh, block grants for mental health services. Um, as we all know, mental health is in a pandemic in and of its own self. And so um, the support that um, those block grants give to, to providers, community providers, community health clinics um, is, is detrimental to us in addressing the, the, the pandemic. I would say sort of on, a, on, a, on a sort of a system level, a hospital system level, the, uh, the federal uh, Medicaid uh, FMAP, if you will, which is the, the amount that the federal government uh, matches um, each state uh, spending in, in terms of Medicaid. So, Medicaid insurance, reimbursement, children's insurance, um, all of those things are 
based upon a formula that is generated from the census. So it's absolutely critical for us to make sure that we get accurate numbers, uh, not only in the California, across the system, each state that Providence operates in, to make sure that those states get their fair portion of the pie so we can support not only our children, our, our parents, but also the communities that we serve. Yeah, thank you for highlighting that, Jordan. I know working as a public health professional, uh, you know, that that census data has been foundational for so many of our um, investments and how we um, really help looking at, you know, serving our communities better. So Jennifer, you know, with so much, um, I think really just magnification of um, health inequities in our communities, you know, that we, you know, those of us that work in communities know that they are there, but really have been magnified through uh, COVID. Share a little bit how the census data can help with racial and ethnic minorities. I want to touch base on what Jordan said earlier that was perfect, how that data is used in a formula to determine so many critical funding representation. That data is enormous. Mm -hmm. And let me bring it down to a more local level to, let's say, our racial minorities. I am a, I am a, a minority. I'm Asian American. I'm Korean American. And I know firsthand that when my family first immigrated to the United States, my parents didn't speak any English. It was up to me to translate for my parents. I remember tippy-toeing over the counters of different agencies like DMV, trying to understand what the rep is saying and then translating to my parents. A lot has changed since then. Now, because of census data and hopefully those uh, data population for the racial and ethnic minorities are as accurate as possible, hopefully even perfect, because people who are hired for, let's say, our social service departments, they will look at the data of what languages the residents in that certain area speak. So this is a local level and how it'll affect all of us. And, and then we will work our way to the greater picture. So now there are more options because census data will show we need Spanish, for example, we need Korean, we need Chinese, et cetera, et cetera, and hire people who can speak bilingual in, that, in those specific areas because the people they need to serve speak those areas. So this data is used in that way. One other example I could provide besides the jobs, are opportunities. Because there are certain population of people who speak a certain language, are from a certain racial uh, population, there will be more op opportunities for a nonprofit organization. Because when those grant applications are sent, the formula that Jordan mentioned earlier, again, they will be looking at census data for how many people are from that ethnic minority who speak that certain language and that grant will be approved and then the amount will be approved based on those numbers. So data affects us in so many ways, even in schools, how many of the students and their families speak a certain language. So those are some examples of how locally those numbers are important and magnified. Let's go to a bigger picture here at the census. You could respond online on 2020census.gov. 
And there you can respond not only in English. There are 12 non-English languages, including Spanish mm -hmm. and Korean, Japanese, Chinese simplified. And there are all those language, languages provided even on the phone. There are glossary cards that are provided to supplement the English questionnaire uh, in the mail. So all of these languages that are provided, you can tell it happened over time. Back when we had our first census in 1790, we didn't have these languages because we didn't need to service all of these languages and ethnic populations. But over time, we saw through census data that there are minorities that are standing up, taking that census, getting engaged civically and saying, we live here and we speak this language. It's our most comfortable language. And so Census Bureau has taken that into, into action by offering these 12 non-English languages. So that's how it's impacted even our census data. So for every ethnic minority like myself out there listening, or maybe you have friends or colleagues, please get that message out to make sure to answer that uh, race and ethnicity question. Again, no individual will be, uh, will be, um, will be shared. No individual information will be shared at all. It will be statistical data saying in this area, in the city, county or state, we have this many people who speak a certain language or who are from this ethnic group. Yeah. So please uh, take action and answer those questions very carefully. Um, it's a good thing. We're helping out the community by doing this. Yeah, thank you, Jennifer. Just such an important time in our country, too, to make sure we really have an accurate representation of, you know, who are, who's living in our communities and um, having that that makeup um, and that accurate information. So, uh, Jordan, share a little bit. Uh, you know, I know you went high level in terms of, um, you know, just the importance of um, census data to our communities, but maybe share a little bit about um, the state and federal programs that are influenced by the census. Uh, sure. So uh, mainly the ones that I, I specifically mentioned earlier, which was the community development block grants, um, the FMAP, the, the increase in the, the, or excuse me, the federal match for the Medicaid program, SNAP, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, TANF, uh, which is a temporary assistance for, for family. Um, all of those programs at, at the federal level uh, are Essentially, again, they, they utilize the census data uh, to determine which what the allocations for each state will be, um, and so uh, you know that's all derived again on the on the count on the census count. Um, uh, do you, I'm not sure if you have the specific numbers, Jennifer, but I'm very curious to learn are are how are we right now in terms of the um, the count, um, and I know that's critical to the to this question specifically because if um, we're not receiving or if people are not filling out those forms, uh, particularly with the pandemic going on, then we won't have that, that support for these programs. So I'm just very curious, where are we at with the count and where, where are the regions um, we can, you know, maybe focus on to help um, drive up those numbers? That's great. Thanks for the conversation going. Um, Jordan, I do have numbers, uh, the most updated numbers as of July 22nd. Mm. Um, I want to just highlight out there right now <clears throat> excuse me thank goodness that we have the online option for the first time mm -hmm. since census of 1790 i mean 
back then under the supervision of Thomas Jefferson, they were U.S. Marshals going on horseback, you know, from farm to farm to homes to homes. A lot has changed. And thank goodness we have online because before COVID hit, Census Bureau decided we need to keep up with the times and create a more convenient, uh, a user-friendly option and introduce online questionnaire and keep the traditional. Some people want to use the phone option and still keep the paper mail-in option. So because of the online option, perfect timing, we are doing okay. There's still work to be done, but let me just answer your question, Jordan, and give you the most updated percentage of uh, completed self-response. So as of July 22nd, just a few days ago, as a nation, we are at 62.3% that have completed the census. As a state of California, we have 63.5. Just for comparison and reference, Orange County is at 70.6. LA County is at 58.6. You can go online and Google census response rate. It will pop up for you right at the top of the page. Anyone can click on that link, enter uh, whatever state, county, city, even congressional district, and locate your address or maybe where you work and populate there and see the most updated data on self-response. Well, thank you for sharing. It's nice to have the up-to-date information. So. Uh, Jennifer and Jordan, you're saying, you know, our education system, transportation, housing, um, our community development and healthcare all impacted by people going on and, and um, filling out the, sur um, the, the survey for the census. Um, maybe talk a little bit, you know, we've had such a strange 2020. Um, I, I think everyone's in the in the phase of, you know, there's nothing that is going to be a surprise um, of what comes next. But share a little bit about how this, um, you know, th these numbers uh, really play into emergency preparedness. Yeah, sure, I'll take that question. So uh, amid COVID-19 pandemic, there were cities, for example, that received emergency funds to help service their residents. And the amount was determined by 2010 census data of the population in each city. So you can tell just from this, even though we didn't know that COVID-19 would happen, but because of everyone that has responded in the 2010 census, we had data to base that funding, that formula. And this data that we keep referring to is truly a master data that we will use for 10 years for determining things like, <clears throat> excuse me, emergency preparedness, uh, emergency funds that cities would need. Um, there is so much at stake. So uh, thank you, Dora, for mentioning COVID-19. Things happen. We hope mm -hmm. and pray that they never do, but things happen. Natural disasters happen. And in cities where sometimes natural fires happen or emergency flooding, anything, earthquake, whenever these emergency situations occur, we fall back again on that master number, which is the most uh, recent census data to determine how many residents live there. And based on that numbers, federal government, state or county or state will then determine how to best allocate funds and resources to service the residents there. 
Yeah, that that's wonderful, Jennifer. And I'll just quickly add, uh, Dora. You know, I, I'm actually looking at a doc, a census document. It's a research document. It's a 2020 census research research uses of Census Bureau data in federal funds distribution, and it looks like uh, there's at least 132 programs that use the Census Bureau data to distribute more than 675 billion dollars in 2015. If you can imagine how much more significant that is. Uh, Today, um, I went. I did a, a, a control F <laughs> search to <laughs> typed in emergency, and of the of the 132 programs, emergency popped up 23 times. Wow. So just to give you a sense, uh, emergency food assistance program wow. is, is one of them. Emergency shelter grants program, uh, emergency watershed protection program. <laughs> And these are all administered through different agencies at the federal level. So it's not just health and human services. It could, it could be the uh, Department of Agriculture. It could be the Department of Justice. It could be the uh, EPA, Environmental Protection Agency. So, uh, and, and of course, we can't forget the Education Department. So um, it's 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 not uh, singularly uh, focused in one uh, agency across in the federal government. It's across the board. So multiple agencies. Um, oversee uh, these these uh, grant allocations uh, for our for our states and communities. Yeah, thank you for highlighting. It's almost like it's a denominator for you know really a, a community safety net and community development, and community health all all around. So um, just so key to get this data right. Jennifer, now you mentioned, um, you know, thank you for sharing how to fill it out. But I know with COVID-19, there's been some extensions. So you want to share a little bit with our listeners in terms of some of those those timelines? Yes. Originally, decennial census was planned to end July 31st, 2020. However, we have made adjustments for obvious reasons. The last day for anyone to self-respond or respond with the help of a census door-to-door -door enumerator or census taker is now October 31st, 2020. Again, the new date, the last date that we can all respond is October 31st, 2020. I encourage everyone, instead of waiting, since we have until October 31st, take that census now. It will take seven to nine minutes. Well, I say seven to nine minutes because it took me about that long. I've heard others say 10 minutes tops. There's seven to nine basic questions, uh, non-intrusive, no question about citizenship, no question about social security number, your financial institutions, credit card numbers, nothing of that sort, basic information. So the timeline is October 31st, 2020. We've also made other adjustments, just working with our community member. Right now we're here with Providence digitally. Mm -hmm. Perhaps if it weren't for COVID, we'd be meeting in person, giving each other hugs and saying hello <laughs> and meeting everyone in person. But that's okay. We've made adjustments and thank goodness that we have technology now where we can still connect um, in the midst of COVID-19. So the Census Bureau has also taken steps to share digitally. For example, we just uh, finished up with uh, working with community members nationwide to create their own uh, social media videos or even 2D artwork to share about the census, post it on their social media, sending on their chat chat rooms 
or texts or various uh, platforms that every racial minority likes to use. For example, WhatsApp, Kakao, a line app. And on all of these um, different platforms, we can do digitally. Even school districts have gone digitally with school newsletters and updates, maybe even texts or phone calls. Census Bureau is doing the same. We have phone banking from community-based organizations that are calling residents who have not responded to motivate them to respond. We are going on social media. In fact, for our region in Orange County and Los Angeles, next week we are launching a social media push where we encourage everyone, especially those millennials who are so savvy and creative on social media to take a selfie and then post on their social media and say, our family or I responded and hashtag 2020census.gov to just spread that awareness because together we're stronger. Everyone is an influencer, whether it be your siblings, your family, your friends, or your colleagues, peers, everyone can make a difference. So these are the different adjustments we are making. And the last thing I will add is depending on health guidelines, We'll, we'll follow along and make sure that it's safe to do so, but we would like to provide assistance in person when it's safe to do so. We are launching door-to-door -door enumeration, and that is set to launch on August 11th. Of course, that date may change, but we will have trained enumerators who have completed COVID-19 protocols to practice social distancing as they go door-to-door -to, -door to help residents who have not responded online. So. If you do not want a knock at your door, and oftentimes they do come when you're preparing dinner or helping your kids uh, with their homework or trying to get them washed up and ready for bed. So please make sure to respond online if you do so, or over phone or mail-in. If you do so, you will not get that knock at the door. Thank you, Jennifer. And we're just about time, but just if there's any brief um, final comments that either of you would like to add regarding the Census 2020. Sure, Jennifer. I would just like to ask um, one final question in terms of um, completing the, the census uh, electronically. Um, if, if someone was uh, unfortunate to be impacted by COVID and had to move uh, and they're in, in a new residential setting um, and for whatever reason they missed the form in the mail, is there an opportunity for them to get another form? How can they go about um, completing their census and being identified? That's a great question, Jordan. The best way is to go online to 2020census.gov. It will ask for an ID number. And that's okay if you've lost your form. You don't have to have that ID number that was mailed to you. You can click on the link just below where it asks for ID and say, I don't have that ID number. The only difference is with the ID, it will pre-populate your home address in the field that you would enter it without the ID link. So if anyone has moved homes and lost their questionnaire or just left it behind, no problem at all. Please go online, click that link below the ID field and write and just click and say, I don't have my ID and go ahead and fill out that census. Make sure your address is accurately uh, entered in that questionnaire. Well, thank you, Jennifer and Jordan, so much for this important information, for joining us today, and, and everyone who took the time to listen and for sending in uh, your questions. 
To learn more about our initiatives, programs, and services, or if you're looking for help or medical advice, please visit at providence.org. And make sure you follow us on social media under Providence on Twitter and at Providence Health System on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. And remember, all of us are asking how we can help our, our neighbors, our community. And so if you haven't done so yet, um, a maximum of 10 minutes, Jennifer says, um, please count yourself in the 2020 census by going to 2020census.gov. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day.